part one chapters four and five of bessie's fortune by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain four thanksgiving day at gray's park the season had been unusually warm and pleasant for new england and until the morning of thanksgiving day the grass upon the lawn at gray's park had been almost as fresh and green as in the may days of spring for only the autumnal rains had fallen upon it and the november wind had blown as softly as if it had just kissed the wave of some southern sea where it was summer always but with the dawning of thanksgiving day there was a change and the carriage which was sent from gray's park to the station to meet the guests from boston was covered with snow and mrs geraldine shivered and drew her fur-lined cloak more closely around her as she stepped from the train and looking ruefully down at her little french boots said petulantly why do they never clear the snow from the platform i wonder and how am i to walk to the carriage it is positively ankle-deep and i with silk stockings on mrs geraldine was not in an enviable frame of mind she had declined an invitation to a grand dinner-party for the sake of going to allington where it was always snowing or raining or doing something disagreeable and her face was anything but pleasant as she stood there in the snow a very slave to her opinions and wishes her husband always thought as she thought and fondly agreed with her that going to allington was a bore and that he did not know how she was to wade through all that snow in thin boots and silk stockings and not endanger her life by the exposure only gray was happy gray grown from the blue-eyed baby boy who used to dig his little heels so vigorously into the rotten baseboard under the bench in the woodshed of the farmhouse into the tall blue-eyed open-faced lad of fourteen of whom it could truly be said that never had his parents been called upon to blush for a mean or vicious act committed by him faulty he was of course with a hot temper when roused and a strong indomitable will which however was seldom exercised on the wrong side honourable generous affectionate and pure in all his thoughts as a young girl he was the idol of his aunts and the pride of his father and mother the latter of whom he treated with a teasing playfulness such as he would have shown to a sister if he had one mrs gerald was very proud of her bright handsome boy and had a brilliant career marked out for him andover first then harvard and two years or more at oxford and then some high-born english wife for mrs gerald was thoroughly european in her tastes and toadied to the english in a most disgusting manner during her many trips across the water she had been presented to the queen had attended by invitation a garden party and a ball at which the prince and princess of wales were present and had spent several weeks in the country houses of some of the wealthy english consequently she considered herself quite au fait with their style and customs which she never failed to descant upon greatly to the amusement of her listeners and the mortification of gray who was now old enough to see how ridiculous it made his mother appear gray was delighted to go to allington and the grandest dinner-party in the world with all the peers of england as guests would have been a small compensation for the good cheer he expected both at gray's park and at the farmhouse he was glad too for the snow and as the express train sped swiftly on and he watched it from the window falling in blinding sheets and covering all the hill-tops he thought what fun it would be on the morrow to drive his aunt lucy's bays over to the farmhouse after his aunt hannah whom he would take for a long drive across the country and frighten with the rapidity with which the bays would skim along hurrah there's allington and there's tom he cried springing up as the train shot under the bridge near the station come on mother i have your traps great box little box soapstone and bag here we are and my eyes what a blizzard it's storming great guns but here goes 
and the eager boy jumped from the car into the snow and shook hands with tom his aunt lucy's coachman and the baggage-master and the boy from the market where his aunt bought her meat and saul sullivan the fiddler the most shiftless easy-going fellow in allington who wore one of gray's discarded hats given to him the previous year hello hello how are you he kept repeating as one after another pressed up to him all glad to welcome the city boy who was so popular among them hearing his mother's lamentations over the snow he said to the coachman here tom take these traps while i carry mother to the carriage then turning to her he continued now little mother it will never do for those silk stockings to be spoiled when there is a great strapping fellow like me to whom you are only a feather's weight and lifting the lady in his arms as if she had really been a child he carried her to the carriage and put her in tucking the blankets around her and carefully brushing the snow from her bonnet now father jump in and let me shut the door i'm going on the box with tom i like the snow and it is not cold i am going to drive myself and in spite of his mother's protestations gray mounted to the box and taking the reins started the willing horses at a rapid rate towards gray park where miss lucy waited for them bounding up the steps gray dashed into the hall and shaking the snow from his coat and cap seized his aunt around the waist and after two or three hearty kisses commenced waltzing around the parlor with her talking incessantly and telling her how delighted he was to be at gray's park again only think i have not seen you for more than a year and i've been to europe since and am a travelled young man don't you see marks of foreign culture in me and he laughed mischievously for he knew his aunt would comprehend his meaning then too he continued i'm an andover chap now but find it awful pokey i almost wish i had gone to east hampton such fun as the boys have there sent a whole carload of gates down to springfield one night i'd like to have seen the east hamptonites when they found their gates gone and the springfielders when they opened that car hello mother isn't it jolly here and don't you smell the mince pies i'm going to eat two pieces and the wild boy waltzed into the library in time to see his mother drop languidly into an armchair with the air of one who had endured all it was possible to endure and who considered herself a martyr pray be quiet and come in and fasten my cloak you forget that your aunt lucy is no longer young to be whirled round like a top young or not she is as pretty as a girl any day gray replied releasing his aunt and hastening to his mother knowing her sister's dislike to the country miss gray had spared no pains to make the house as attractive as possible there was no furnace but there were fires in every grate and in the wide fireplace in the large dining-room where the bay window looked out upon the hills and the pretty little pond lucy's greenhouse had been stripped of its flowers which in bouquets and baskets and bowls were seen everywhere while pots of azaleas and camellias and rare lilies stood in every nook and corner filling the rooms with a perfume like early june when the air is full of sweetness but mrs geraldine found the atmosphere stifling and asked that a window might be opened and that gray would find her smelling salts directly as her head was beginning to ache gray knew it always ached when she was in a crank as he called her moods and he brought her salts and undid her cloak and bonnet and kissed her once or twice while his father who was hot because she was hot said it was like an august day all over the house and opened a window but shut it almost immediately for a cloud of snow came drifting in and mrs geraldine knew she should get neuralgia in such a frightful draught come to your room and lie down you will feel better when you are rested lucy said with a troubled look on her sweet face as she led the way to the large cheerful chamber which her sister always occupied when at gray's park what time do you dine 
geraldine asked as she caught the savoury smell of something cooking in the kitchen i have fixed the dinner hour at half-past two lucy replied and geraldine rejoined half-past two what a heathenish hour and i do so detest early dinners yes i know lucy answered in an apologetic tone but hannah cannot stay late on account of her father then turning to her brother-in-law who had just come in she added you know i suppose that your father has not been as well as usual for several weeks hannah thinks he is failing very fast yes she wrote me to that effect burton replied but she is easily alarmed and so i did not attach much importance to it do you think him seriously ill i don't know except from hannah herself as he sees no one i was there yesterday but he would not allow me to enter his room i am told that he has taken a fancy that no one shall go into his bedroom but hannah and the doctor that looks as if his mind might be a little unsettled instantly there came back to burton's mind what his aunt had said to him on her dying bed there is a secret between them but never try to discover it lest it should affect you too there may be disgrace in it years had passed since burton heard these words and much good fortune had come to him he had married geraldine gray and had become president of a bank he had increased in wealth and distinction until no one stood higher on the social platform of boston than he did he had been to the legislature twice and to congress once and was the honourable burton gerald respected by every one and what to his narrow mind was better still he was looked upon as an aristocrat of the bluest type none of his friends had ever seen the queer old hermit at the farmhouse or hannah either for that matter for she had seldom been in boston since gray was a baby and on the rare occasions when she did go she only passed the day and had her lunch in the privacy of mrs geraldine's room once or twice a year as was convenient burton had been to the farmhouse to see his father whom he always found the same silent brooding man with hair as white as snow and shoulders so bent that it was difficult to believe he had ever been upright and so gradually burton had ceased to wonder at his father's peculiarities and had forgotten his suspicions but now they returned to him again and he shivered as there swept suddenly over him one of those undefinable presentiments which sometimes come to us and for which we cannot account what time is hannah coming he asked i hardly know lucy replied the boy who stays here to do the outdoor work is to bring her as soon as she can leave her father who will have no one with him in his room during her absence he is very anxious to see gray but i doubt if he will even let him into the bedroom during this conversation gray had listened intently and now he exclaimed i have it my dinner will taste better if i see grandpa first and show him my alpenstock with all those names burned on it i mean to drive over after aunt hannah myself it would be such fun to surprise them both gray are you crazy to think of going out in this storm mrs gerald exclaimed but gray persisted and pointing to the window said it is not snowing half as fast as it did and look there's a bit of blue sky i can go can't i aunt lucy yes if tom is willing lucy said a little doubtfully for she stood somewhat in awe of tom who did not like to harness oftener than was necessary foe i'll risk tom gray said tom knows me and in less than ten minutes one of the bays was harnessed to the cutter and gray was driving along in the direction of the farmhouse which for the first time in his life struck him as something weird-like and dreary standing there alone among the rocks with the snow piled upon the roof and clinging in masses to the small window-panes i don't wonder mother thinks it seems like some old haunted house we read about it is just the spot for a lively ghost 
i wish i could see one he thought as he drove into the side yard and giving his horse to the care of the chore boy sam who was in the barn he went stamping into the kitchen five the old man and the boy old mr gerald had failed rapidly within a few weeks but as long as possible he dressed himself every day and sat in his armchair in the kitchen for the front room was rarely used in winter at one time when hannah saw how weak her father was growing and knew that he must soon take to his bed she suggested that he should occupy the south room it was so much more sunny and cheerful than his sleeping apartment which was always dark and gloomy and cheerless but her father said no very decidedly it has been a part of my punishment to keep watch in that room all these dreadful years and i shall stay there till i die and hannah when i cannot get up any more but must lie there all day and all night long don't let any one in not even miss gray for it seems to me there are mirrors everywhere and that the walls and floor have tongues and i am getting such a coward hannah such a coward i am too old to confess it now god has forgiven me i am sure of that and the world need not know what we have kept so long you and i how long is it hannah my memory fails me and sometimes it seems a thousand years i have suffered so much and then again it is but yesterday last night how long did you say hannah thirty-one years next thanksgiving was hannah's reply spoken oh so mournfully low thirty-one years and you were a girl of fifteen and your hair was so brown and glossy just like your mother's hannah just like hers and now it is so grey poor child i am so sorry for you but god knows all you have borne for me and some day you will shine as a star in his crown while i if i am permitted to enter the gates must have the lowest seat it was the last of october when this conversation took place and the next day but one the old man did not get up as usual but stayed in bed all that day and the next and the next until it came to be understood between himself and hannah that he would never get up again shall i send for burton hannah asked and he replied no he does not care to come and why trouble him sooner than necessary he is not like you he is grand and high and ashamed of his old father but he is my son and i must see him once more he will be up on thanksgiving day and i shall live till then don't send for him i cannot have him in this room can't have anybody don't let them in can no one see under the bed no father no one can see no one shall come in hannah answered then for weeks she kept her lonely watch over the half-crazed old man who started at every sound and whispered piteously don't let them come here hannah i am too old and there is gray the boy for his sake hannah we will not let them come for me now no father they shall not come gray need not know hannah always replied though she had secretly cherished a hope that some time in the future when the poor old father was dead she would tell gray and ask his help to do what she fully meant to do when her hands bound for thirty years should be loosened from the chain she could trust gray could tell him everything and feel sure that his earnest truthful blue eyes would look just as lovingly at her as ever and that he would comfort and help her as no one else could do such was the state of affairs at the farmhouse on the morning of thanksgiving day when hannah was making her preparations to go to gray's park for two hours or more just to sit through the dinner and see gray whom she had not seen since his return from europe her father was not as well that morning 
thanksgiving was always a terrible anniversary for him for as on that day the several members of a family meet again around the old hearthstone so the ghosts of the past all came back to torture him and fill him with remorse how it blows he said as the wind shook the windows of his room and went screaming around the corner of the house how it blows and i seem to hear voices in the storm your voice hannah as it sounded thirty years ago when you cried out so loudly and i struck you for it and beat old rover too do you remember it yes yes father but don't talk of it to-day try to forget try to think only that gray is here and that you will see him to-morrow gray the boy with the big blue eyes which looks so straight at you that i used sometimes to wonder if he did not see into my heart and know what i was hiding the old man replied gray the little boy who would sit on that bench in the woodshed and kick the floor until i sweat at every pore with fear and whom i would not touch till he captured my hands and held them in his soft warm ones and kissed them too my wicked old hands kissed by gray's baby lips would he touch them now if he knew i used to think if i lived till he was a man i would tell him and maybe you will do it after i am dead he is coming here to-morrow you say and burton but burton isn't like gray he is proud and worldly and a little hard i am afraid but the boy tell him how i love him try to make him understand and when he comes to-morrow maybe he will kiss me again it will be for the last time i shall never see him more but hark what's that don't you hear bells and there is the stamping of feet at the door go child quickly and not let them in here hannah too heard the sound and the opening of the kitchen door and hurrying from her father's bedside she called out sharply who is it who's there my name is norval on the grampian hills was replied in the well-remembered voice of gray who continued merrily as he approached her and you dear aunt hannah you are the dame with the wonderful name which forward and backward still reads the same he did not attempt to waltz with her as he had done with lucy he had tried it once but she went the wrong way and he told her there was no more dance in her than in the kitchen tongs so now he only wound his arms around her and kissed her many times and when she sat down in a chair he stood over her and smoothed her hair and thought how grey it had grown within the year he had no suspicion that there was any secret sorrow weighing upon her but he knew that her life was a hard one owing to the peculiarities of his grandfather and now as he looked at her he felt a great pity for her and there was a lump in his throat as he stooped to kiss her again and said poor auntie you look so tired and pale is grandpa so very sick and more troublesome than usual hannah had not cried in years indeed it was the effort of her life to keep her tears back but now at the sound of gray's sympathetic voice and the touch of his fresh warm lips upon her own she broke down entirely and for a few moments sobbed as if her heart would break while gray in great concern knelt down before her and tried to comfort her what is it auntie he said is it because you are so lonely and are afraid grandpa will die i'll take care of you then and we will go to europe together and you shall ride on a mule and cross the mer de glace i used to think when i was over there how we would some day go together and i would show you everything at the mention of europe hannah's tears ceased and commanding her voice she said abruptly did you go to wales yes we went there first don't you remember without answering that question hannah continued did you go to carnarvon carnarvon 
i guess we did we spent a whole day at the old castle and went all over it and into the room where the first prince of wales was born it isn't much bigger than our bathroom but i tell you those old ruins are grand and with all a boy's enthusiasm over his first trip to europe gray launched out into a graphic description of what he had seen and done repeating everything ridiculous in order to make his aunt hannah laugh you ought to have heard father try to talk french he said it was enough to kill one with laughing he bought a little book and would study some phrase and then fire it off at the waiters screaming at the top of his voice as if that would make them understand better and once it was too funny we were in a shop in lucerne and father wanted to know the price of something so he held it up before a little dapper man with blue eyes and yellow hair and said combion that's the way he pronounced it combion but the man didn't combion worth a cent and only stared at him as if he thought him a lunatic then father tried again and yelled as loud as he could pre pre how muchy muchy then there was a glimmer of a smile on the man's face and when father wholly out of patience roared out damnation are you a fool he replied no but i'm a yankee like yourself and the price of the carving is twenty-five francs and sure enough he was a chap from maine after that father always asked them first if they parley vous ed english mother got on better because she knew more of the language and always gave a twist to the words which made them sound frenchy but she was afraid to talk much for fear she'd make a mistake and miss grundy would laugh at her she is awfully afraid of miss grundy especially if the genus homo happens to be english but i did not care i wanted to learn and i studied in the railway car and at the table and in bed and had a teacher when we stayed long enough in a place and then i plunged in mistake or no mistake and talked to everybody i used to sit on the box with the driver when we drove so as to talk to him and you have no idea what a lot you pick up that way or how glad they are to help you and now though i do not suppose i always use good grammar or get the right accent i can parley with the best of them and can speak german too a little i think i have improved some don't you auntie of course she did and she told him so and smiled fondly upon the bright handsome boy knowing that in what he said of himself there was neither conceit nor vanity but a frankness and openness which she liked to see in him and now for grandpa he suddenly exclaimed he will think i am never coming and before she could stop him he had entered the low dark room where on the bed pushed close to the side wall near the woodshed and just where it had stood for thirty years the old man lay or rather sat for he was bolstered upright with chair and pillows behind him his long white hair parted in the middle and combed behind his ears and his arms folded across his bosom at gray's abrupt entrance he started and his face flushed for a moment but when he saw who it was the look of fear gave way to one of joy and his pale face lighted up with gladness as he welcomed the eager boy who told him first how sorry he was to find him so sick and then what a grand time he had in europe i have been to the top of rigi and old pilatus and vesuvius and flegere and crossed the mer de glace and tete noire and the saint-plon and they are all here on my alpenstock look see but no you cannot it is so dark i'll raise the curtain and gray hastened to the window while his grandfather cried out in alarm stop gray stop i'll call your aunt hannah hannah come here she was at his side in an instant bending over him while he whispered is it safe can he see nothing sure nothing father nothing 
was the reply and thus reassured the old man took the alpenstock which had done such good service and looked at the queer names burned upon it lingering longest upon the first one gray gerald boston massachusetts eighteen hundred blank very rapidly gray talked of his travels and the wonders beyond the sea but after all america is best he said and i am glad i am an american boston is the place to be born in don't you think so grandpa yes yes did you go to wales to carnarvon the old man said so abruptly that gray stopped short and stared at him blankly his aunt hannah had asked the same question could it be they were more interested in carnarvon than in mont blanc and vesuvius if so he would confine himself to carnarvon and he began again to describe the old castle and the birth-room of the first prince of wales then his grandfather interrupted him by asking did you hear of any family there by the name of rogers rogers no why did you ever know any one by that name who lived in carnarvon gray asked and his grandfather replied yes a great many years ago longer than you can remember joel rogers that was the name and he had a sister elizabeth you did not hear of her father father you are talking too much you are getting excited and tired hannah interposed in some alarm but her father replied no i am not afraid of gray now that i see his face again it's a face to be trusted gray would not harm his old grandfather would you boy and the childish old man began to cry piteously while gray looked inquiringly at his aunt and touched his forehead meaningly as much as to say i know i understand a little out of his head she let him think so and laying his hand on his grandfather's hair gray said don't cry of course i would not harm you the best grandpa in all the world no no gray the worst the worst and yet it does me good to know you love and respect me and you always will when i am dead and gone won't you even if you should ever know how bad i was and you may some time for it is impressed on me this morning that in some way you will help hannah out of it you two and no more poor hannah she has suffered so much for my sake be good to her gray when i am gone be good to hannah poor hannah yes grandpa i will gray said in a tearful voice as he involuntarily wound his arms around the woman he was to be good to i will always care for aunt hannah and love her above all women don't you worry about that she shall live with me when i am a man and we will go to europe together yes to carnarvon perhaps mr gerald interposed and then said suddenly do you remember the day you caught and kissed my old hands and did me so much good would you mind kissing them again this one it burns so and aches and he raised his thin right hand which gray took in his own and kissed reverently and lovingly saying as he did so poor tired hand which has done so much hard work but never a bad act oh oh my boy my boy you hurt me grandpa cried as he snatched his hand from gray who looked at him wonderingly and said i am sorry i did not mean to hurt you is your hand sore sore yes sore than you know or guess so sore that it aches down to my very heart come gray i think it is time we were off father is getting tired and excited you will see him again to-morrow hannah said and her father rejoined to-morrow who knows 
to-day is all we can call our own and i will bless my boy to-day kneel down gray and let me put both hands on your head with a feeling of awe gray knelt beside the bed while his grandfather laid his hands on his head and said may god bless my boy gray and make him a good man not like me the chief of sinners but christ-like and pure so that he may one day reach the eternal home where i hope to meet him through the merits of the blood of jesus which cleanseth from all sin all sin even mine god bless my boy it seemed like a funeral and gray's eyes were full of tears as he rose from his knees and said good-bye grandpa we must go now but i will come again to-morrow and stay all day and all the next for i do not go back to andover till monday and next summer i will spend all my vacation with you good-bye and stooping he kissed the white forehead and quivering lips around which a smile of peace was setting then he left the room never dreaming that it was good-bye for ever once in the open air with his aunt hannah by his side the cloud which in the sick-room had settled upon him lifted and he talked and laughed merrily as they drove swiftly toward gray's park where dinner was waiting for them End of chapters four and five